Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Sustainalytics Sustainable Finance Podcasts, which is a monthly roundup of the latest transactions and developments in the sustainable finance space globally. This is for the month of November and our last podcast for 2020 and podcast number 11. So we're well and truly over the double digits now. In each episode, we take you through some of the latest news that caught our eye, noteworthy transactions that have hit the market and cap off with discussing some items related to regulatory updates. This 20 minutes or so roundup is curated and a short list for a download on what's happening in the sustainable finance space globally and hopefully it may spark some ideas for future deals and transactions. This episode is hosted by me, Nick, and also Cheryl, who will lead and who do lead the sales effort in Asia Pacific. But first, let's have a look at some news. So Cheryl, what's caught your eye over the month of November? Lots of things happened. That's right. Yep. So a CBI report came out for the third quarter and it's astounding. The green bond market reached a new record in Q3 with issuance peaking at USD 64.9 billion. This is the highest volume in any third quarter period since the market's inception, as well as the second highest recorded amount in any individual quarter. So that's really amazing. It's just for reference, it's 21% more than what we saw in Q2 this year. The cumulative issuance volume since inception has reached USD 948 billion. So some of the key uh, figures for the quarter include 52 benchmark issuances of at least USD 500 million. And we saw representation from 39 countries, including 71 deals from the US. 48 from Germany, 40 from Sweden, and 30 from Japan. So excellent to see so much growth and momentum um, in the third quarter. What about you, Nick? Have you seen any interest? Did you attend any interesting webinars recently? Yeah, I did. I did. As you know, my fetish for webinars, uh, Cheryl. So a couple of interesting uh, ones that I joined, but one in particular, and hats off to the organizers. I thought this was an excellent event, was the Kanga News uh, Sustainable Debt Markets Conference um, in Australia that was two half days um, earlier in the month. Um, a really high quality event with lots of interesting discussion. So just to pick up on a few points from that, a lot of thematics that we've talked about in the podcast uh, recently and over the course of the year. So it was a good summary, but also really good in terms of directionally what's going to happen in the Australian market. And I think that's a really good barometer for other markets as well, because Australia is quite progressive in some ways for sure. So the theme of building back better, using COVID as an inflection point to really drive further sustainability and integrate that into financing really came out. More major economies, as we know, Korea, Japan, net zero targets, um, even China now, uh, US probably going uh, and joining the, the Paris Agreement to talk about net zero, and, and also recently um, Hong Kong as well. So the pressure that that would probably put on Australia and this whole issue of competitiveness as we, as we move into rapidly changing world and more and more related to net zero and zero carbon. Um, the setting from the government is really, uh, really important. Um, the ASFI, or the Australian Sustainable Finance uh, Initiative, launched in line with the conference their roadmap, which is a 10-year plan for the Australian market. So I'd encourage any of our listeners, particularly those in Australia, to check that out. Loads and loads, I think up to 37 recommendations in there about looking at things from regulatory, implementing TCFD reporting, looking at different incentives, uh, coming up with taxonomies, lots of really important uh, regulatory points, architecture points to really continue to drive sustainability and integrate that into further uh, financing uh, structure. So that was really good uh, to hear. 
some interesting topics about securitization. Again, Australia is pretty innovative in terms of the securitization market, so that'll be good to see more and more structured um, deals uh, be connected to the green and, and social space. There was a lot of talk about hydrogen as alternative fuels. We've spoken on the podcast about that before. And one of the really interesting points was the whole the whole topic about um, impact reporting going forward and being much more outcomes-based um, than just process sort of metrics. Um, so look, really um, excellent uh, event and, and kind of summarised a lot of things that have been happening um, and gave a little bit of a sneak peek into what might be happening in the Australian market, which is actually very relevant for, uh, for many other markets uh, as well. And what about yourself, Cheryl? The, the eternal issue of the greenium related to green bonds, I think, uh, appeared again that you uh, uh, noted a specific article on that one. Yes, thanks, Nate. Yes, there was a great article from Environmental Finance about a report from BNP. Investors have been willing to pay a significant greenium for green social and sustainability bonds in 2020 compared to 2019. So, you know, some of the initial findings show that investors are willing to pay up to seven bips more compared to an unlabeled bond. Uh, compared to 2019, the greenium differential was just two basis points. So it's excellent to see more pricing data uh, in the market. Uh, what about you, Nick? Yeah, so a few other things to, to mention. Um, the EU doing the recent bumper social bond issuance is really stimulating the market for more social issuance. And as I say before, that theme, even with the Kanga News Conference coming out to talk about Build Back Better, continue to see articles on that. Um, similar to last month, Cheryl, when we talked about some of the articles, let's just say critiquing green bonds and some of the products in the market. Again, good to have those in terms of scrutiny. The market's got to grow and continue to grow in a robust way. Um, exchange viewpoints challenge some points, um, I think is all uh, really healthy. So there continued to be a few different types of articles on that. And there was quite a few articles I'm noticing more and more about the impact that banks are having on not focusing enough on biodiversity when they're financing their customers and the connection that that has to GDP. A lot of health ingredients and products are connected to agri, agri is connected to biodiversity. It's actually a really fascinating issue. So lots of different articles really focusing on that and saying, well, banks, are they focusing on it enough on that? Is there too much focus on decarbonisation? So again, some really interesting viewpoints, some really good critiques of different issues happening in the market. And that's that's good to see to hopefully build uh, a stronger and stronger market going uh, going forward. Anything else that caught your eye, Cheryl, over the month? Yeah, investors are also uh, upping the ante. So great to see more investor pressure as well as governance, uh, that they're trying to, to strengthen the credibility and the robustness of the market. So Amundi uh, warned that the State Bank of India, that it will evict one of the lenders' green bonds from a flagship fund if they persist to finance a coal mine in Australia, which has met fierce opposition from environmental groups. So uh, this is in re relation to the Carmichael Thermal Coal Mine in, in Australia, and this project is already under pressure from existing investors, with a string of banks and insurers having already cut ties from the project, with the most recent being the Lloyds insurer, Apollo. So great to see, um, you know, more investor pressure as well as governance, you know, to en enhance the, the robustness of the green market. There's also been some interesting commentary uh, from market participants about the introduction of the EU green bond standard. 
which may have unintended effects of actually reducing the rate of corporate issuances. And this was discussed during Environmentals Finance 2020 virtual conference. So some of the concerns was around the do no significant harm criteria, which, you know, uh, which some of the financial institutions have mentioned that it would be hard or cost and costly to monitor. So they fear that the current version of the standard could mean fewer green investments in the real economy. So always a healthy debate to see EU innovation versus, you know, having more regulation. Uh, and I think it's about striking a balance. Uh, moving on, the CBI also finalized their criteria for shipping. And, you know, do check it out. It's a bit more ambitious than the IMO targets. And it has a really sensible and thorough approach. The report has excellent diagrams too. Um, the criteria provides a clear definition for evaluating whether a shipping project contributes to climate change and mitigation. And it offers guidance on how companies can transition the performance of their assets and their business lines towards zero carbon. So this is excellent because you know the industry the shipping industry is you know quite lacking some formal guidance and significantly the criteria requires that the ships are not primarily dedicated to transporting fossil fuels and are either zero emission ships at the point of application for the certification or they're performing below the average operational emissions intensity for their respective size and class throughout the tenor of the bond. So in the latter case, they would also need to produce a management or managed reduction plan to outline how the ship will continue to transition towards zero emissions. So a very thorough piece. Uh, do check it out if you're in the shipping industry or you're covering some shipping names. Uh, moving on, um, it's coming much closer and sooner than we expect. The ESMA has launched a consultation on some KPIs that corporates and asset managers should disclose to convey how their activities relate to those that are deemed environmentally sustainable under the EU taxonomy. So uh, under right now under the EU taxonomy, large listed issuers will have to report on the proportion of their turnover, capital expenditure, and operational expenditure, and how they are and how much of that is deemed environmental sustainable under the EU taxonomy. So even though the regulation doesn't state which specific KPIs should be used by asset managers, but uh, ESMA has proposed one of them being the ratio of eligible investments that are taxonomy aligned. So it's really coming closer and uh, sooner than we see. So one last point on industry uh, developments of the SASB and integrated reporting. They are merging. It's great to see that there's more consolidation of you know, the standards, uh, hopefully to enhance some of the corporate reporting that we'll see going on in the future. And we always like to, to round off with some corporate and sovereign developments. Nick, would you do us the favour? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're not a political podcast here, um, but we would just want to comment on what is seemingly good news for environment and those active in sustainable finance with um, the result of the US election and the Biden administration coming in and, and really the tone of wanting to get into Paris again and set net zero targets. I think that's fantastic to see. And, and the US, obviously, a massive economy and setting some of those policy cornerstones, I think, is going to have a great impact on the market. So um, obviously, we would be remiss if we didn't comment on that aspect. But again, not a political show where we won't go into the political side of things, but great to see. Hopefully, that means more deals, transactions and, a, and more sustainability initiatives for, for corporates and, and the government as well. Um, there was an announcement finally from the UK in terms of their intention to uh, issue green, uh, do some green bonds or green gilts in 2021, which has been a long time coming. And I think further to that, the UK talking about net zero or even announcing net zero as well only in recent days and making TCFD more compulsory. So some really good things happening in the, in the UK. 
I saw an interesting thing, Cheryl, in Switzerland talking about a green fintech network. And I think similar to Singapore uh, that has a bit of a focus on, on fintech as well, the intersection of technology, sustainability and green uh, is something for us to be uh, aware of and see how that um, develops and enables more sustainability initiatives uh, over time. The Middle East, saw a couple of articles on that. Again, whether some more sovereigns go to market there, obviously very heavy on the oil and gas and some of those economies that, that will need transition. So let's see what happens in that space. And just a quick one on um, the ADB issuing a first batch of green bonds in, in Kazakh um, or Kazakhstan, I believe, Tenge. I'm probably saying that wrong. So apologies to all our Kazakh friends. Uh, but interesting, further diversification of the market, I think, is the key thing on that. Anything else in Asia, Cheryl, that jumped out in particular? Yes. Over in Asia, there was an excellent article from Bloomberg Quint about the China bond market opening. So uh, estimates cite that there is as much as uh, 5 trillion of pent-up Chinese demand for investments outside of China. So I think it's actually personally quite scary to think that this amount of money of Chinese money will be flowing into international bond markets. But uh, what this really means for us is that more foreign harmonic probably will expect to see more foreign participation in China, uh, encouraging the bond markets, especially the green bond markets, to harmonize to international green bond standards. Uh, we finally see Vietnam joining the party. The Ministry of Fa- France is working together with some of the ministries to issue, and they plan to issue green bonds next year. Uh, over in the Philippines, the Philippines has been commended as a regional leader in sustainable finance, according to a report put out by the CBI. So the Philippines is the third most, has the third most investments in the region for the green bond market at about $2.6 billion as of August. Singapore leads at $6.2 billion, followed by Indonesia at $2.88 billion. So some of the leading uh, Philippine issuers include the four domestic bank, Bank of Philippine Islands, our RCBC Bank, BDO Unibank, and China Bank have issued. Um, also, eight corporates, including Ayala Corp, Manila Water, have also issued. So, some of the largest green bond issuer in the Philippines is actually Ayala Units, uh, AC Energy. And we have actually make, worked on quite a few of these SPOs, like RCBC, BPI, and Ayala. So, great to see ASEAN leadership. Um, over in Indonesia, um, we saw that Indonesia has made the requirement to that you know their corporates have to submit sustainability reports in 2021. So it's excellent to see such a resource-based economy, the second largest uh, green bond uh, market this year, uh, to in, in Asia this year to to be stepping and launching um, sustainability indexes, which are which Sustainalytics is actively being involved in. Lastly, to round off, um, Malaysia is also recently just joined the UN Convene International Network for Financial Centres, being the 33rd member. So excellent to see a lot of activity and development in ASEAN. So quickly moving on to the next section on the sustainable finance transactions that has hit the market. Nick, what are some interesting green bonds that caught your eye? Yeah, so quite a few things. Um, Let's just have a look at a couple of sovereign announcements. We talked about the UK all uh, already Spain also looking at something for 2021 on the sovereign side uh, Chile also just getting a uh, second party opinion for their their plans or to go to market um, again uh, on the pension side we saw Ontario teachers um, issue a green bond which is great to see as we know a lot of the pension funds at least in the US and Canadian in particular as well um, very large funds uh, very innovative and good to see them progressing in these uh, markets as well a um, couple of things on On uh, transport, BTS, um, who runs the monorail in Bangkok, uh, we worked with them to do some um, some green bonds and also VTG, I believe in in Europe, doing some bonds as well. Property, again, we say this every month, so um, a couple of issuances from uh, Wash REIT, Tritax, who else have we got in there? Coram, CAEMO, 
uh, and others. So again, the, the green buildings or other types of projects, renewables, waste, water, um, and other things. Renewable energies, again, much like property, continuing to be a mainstay. Uh, tenant went to market um, again, I believe. Um, Tokyo Gas, I'm having a look at some solar projects. Uh, AC Energy that uh, Cheryl mentioned um, before in the Philippines that we've worked with going to, uh, to market again, which is good to see. Um, Aldax in Spain. Kepco for some renewables, I believe. And also moving on to some water, uh, water projects. So uh, FG. I haven't got the full name for uh, for that one uh, on the water at uh, the water side. Um, a bit more activity in Taiwan as well. So uh, probably in next month's podcast, we'll have a bit of a look at what's happening in, in Taiwan, starting to heat up uh, there with Orsted, some offshore wind projects. Industrial Bank we worked on uh, in China, actually doing a blue bomb. So lots of maritime related uh, projects and some COVID related projects. So that was a great one to work on. Uh, you know, Bank of China. And, uh, and some others. So banks continue to be a good segment and are often good places for the bankers listening in on the call to, to get a good idea because they have broad-based frameworks. They have a look at the types of things that are being funded. The bank frameworks are often quite expansive and, and really good reference points as well. Uh, chemicals, um, we saw some other chemicals company come to market early in the year, Archema, um, went to market again. The auto uh, theme continues, Porsche, Volvo, um, insurance again, another type of um, financial uh, company. What about the green loan side, Cheryl? Was there much room for green loans after all of that in the market? Yes, certainly. So Polymetal, they did an SLL a couple of years back, but they came back to market with a green loan where they commit to allocate to proceeds such as clean transportation, renewable energy, energy efficiency, um, as well as sustainable waste and water management. A renewable energy, uh, again, continues to lead. Exilion Tuli, which is a fin- Finnish company, they managed to secure a Euro 285 million loan for wind farm acquisitions. Uh, Capital Land is back in the spotlight again, this time securing three loans from DBS and HSBC to develop green certified international tech parks in India. So green loans still prove to be very, very popular in Singapore and domestic banks like DBS and OCBC are doing very well to push them. We see ARA Asset Management, Charles Field, based in Singapore, uh, financing an acquisition of energy efficiency improvements in 5-1 Central. Also, another Singapore property player, Tong Ng, has signed its first green loan, uh, SGD 71 million RCF with OCBC, to refinance a 26-storey uh, building that will secure a Green Mark Platinum Award. Um, what about SLBs? Anything new in this section? Yeah, I guess this is rapidly becoming a not-so-new section, Cheryl. I think it's now three or four months um, in terms of the podcast that we've included this. Um, but good to see momentum growing in this um, relatively new uh, product on the link bond. So the first one we saw, I think we referenced this uh, in the last podcast, but just to recap, was the Ethiad transition, Sukuk. Uh, linked bond. There was a few a uh, few different things in there, so check that one out online in terms of how it was uh, how it was structured um, and an interesting reference point uh, for sure for the market. I think we will like shipping see a lot more action in terms of aviation because they've got a big challenge to decarbonize as well. Um, there was a smaller bond done in in Poland, which was a bit tricky to get some more information on, but I believe the first sustainability link bond done there for Talran Polska uh, Energy, helping them move away from uh, from more coal based. Um, sourcing of um, producing power to a lot of renewable energy. Uh, we also saw uh, Lafarge Wholesome, and they have an interesting structure whereby if they don't meet their targets, they pay 75 basis points to a particular charity that's aligned to or produces and works on uh, R&D related to cement. So as we know, cement, 7 or 8% of total global uh, GHGs or emissions. So a big task 
and good to see um, Lafarge doing something uh, pretty interesting in that part of the market. Um, Snyder Electric also did, I think, the first convertible SLB in the market. And that was particularly interesting uh, because it was either a 50 basis points um, trigger or payment upon conversion or, or if um, not triggered before. They had some quite interesting uh, KPIs around gender diversity and management around CO2 saved. Um, in terms of uh, their external customers, and that's an interesting one. Scope three type of emissions, pretty topical and difficult sometimes to to really model and measure and show. So that's great to see that ambition uh, coming in. And the other one, been a busy month for SLBs, was uh, NRG Energy. So again, looking at one scope one, two, and and three emissions, scope three in relation to business travel, and uh, great to see another energy company coming to market. So again, diversity, different products different sectors, more heavier to abate uh, types of industries, access to more different types of sustainable finance. Great to uh, great to see. And back to sustainability-linked loans. Yeah, I think SLBs are still in quite a bit of the limelight. So there's an article from Global Capital that you know, the pandemic has wrecked havoc on business plans uh, because businesses had to pivot and alter their strategies. So this may impact some of their ability to meet their targets on the SLL. So what they can do maybe is perhaps, you know, incorporate some language into some of these loans to see how you can account for such situations, um, you know, situations and instances where there are like pandemics or uh, unforeseen events. Uh, Michelin, the French uh, manuf- uh, rubber tire manufacturer, they did a Euro 2.5 billion sustainability linked RCF, where the interest margin is linked to the percentage of employee in- engagement, as well as the reduction of scope one and two greenhouse gas emissions, uh, as well as some of the um, reduction in the environmental impact of their sites. So more and more people are, are looking at, you know, scope three for some of the industries. So it's quite an interesting transaction to see. Sarawak Energy seals its first Malaysian utility SLL in Malaysia with CIMB with more than 3 billion uh, Malaysian ringgit committed so far. So the interest margin is linked with Sarawak keeping its grid carbon emission intensity aligned with Paris Agreement. It's great to see um, some things happening in Malaysia and lovely to see um, that some of these targets are aligned with the Paris Agreement. What about transition, Nick? Yeah, so a pretty interesting month uh, too, Cheryl. And we note that only a couple of days ago before we've recorded this podcast that ICMA has come out with some really good transition issuer level considerations and strategy in a climate finance handbook. So check that out and we'll talk about it in more detail um, next month. But a couple of things, maybe not necessarily labelled as, as transition, or I think this one was even a green bond some, um, or labelled that way in the US. So US steel seeking some financing to build some electric arc furnace we'd probably see that as more transition but again good to see some funding getting mobilized for some of these newer um, and less carbon intensive uh, pathways i did join a webinar this time held by our climate works which are a, a institution based in australia that do some excellent work around um, pathways to net zero and again we're talking about economy setting targets having innovative targets so we we have a direction and a target on where to go and this whole issue of competitiveness between economies if some are moving faster than others uh, where does that leave some uh, some companies so um, check out i'd highly recommend checking out the climate works website particularly those in australia it's been a bit of a australian flavored month the next uh, couple of things some interesting articles on crunch time for uh, for oil and gas big oil uh, I renewable. So again, I think we're going to continue to see these pathways created from the bigger oil companies, some more robust than others. Renewable energy being cheaper now uh, to produce. Let's see how 
much gusto that whole trend picks up. Picks up. Uh, there was an interesting article too about the ADB potentially working with Indonesia's major power provided, uh, PLN, in terms of transition bonds, maybe for next year. Indonesia very reliant on coal in terms of its energy mix. So let's see, uh, let's see what happens there. And a couple of other things. One of them, hydrogen. Again, we've mentioned that earlier in the in the podcast, but just almost every day, more and more articles about hydrogen as an alternative fuel. If we can get the cost down, if we can build scale, that's going to really feature more in terms of transition pathways. I think. And uh, Brazil, Brazchem in Brazil is talking about a potential transition bond for next year. So again, you know, pretty resource intensive, uh, produces uh, polyurethane and a bunch of other poly names that I can't even say. Yeah, so now maybe we move on to our next section uh, about you know, FAQs from our listeners. So maybe for you, Nick, the first question, do you need a framework for a sustainability-linked bond or a sustainability-linked loan? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Cheryl. I'm hoping to get some easier questions. But um, the, the short answer for that is for an SLL, a sustainability-linked loan, is the common practice is you don't really need a framework to that. It's best practice to get an opinion which shows how a company's met all the four quadrants of the sustainability-linked link loan principle. So that's on the loan side. On the bond side, I guess it's it probably best practice to have all of the key quadrants of the sustainability-linked bond principle, the information encapsulated in, in a framework reference document because bonds change hands. And bonds change hands, it means a new investor might want to recap and see all that information. To have it in one place, backed up by an opinion from someone else, I think is, uh, is best practice uh, as well. Thanks, Nick. Second question. Um, what about your thoughts around the recently uh, announced IGMA transition handbook? What are some of the implications? How are, can you share a little bit about applicability? Yeah, sure. So hot off the press only uh, came out a couple of days ago. We'll talk about it more next podcast. But I think it's really a handbook and really on issuer level consideration. So when we look at transition, we're really looking at the issuance specifics, the use of the money, the reporting, those sorts of things. And this is really to help issuers frame the, the strategy considerations in terms of the issuer level. It's not instrument specific, it's instrument agnostic. So it's a really good reference point. I'm not sure if it's will act as the same way as, as folks like us signing off on that as a specific set of principles or like we would say transaction is aligned to that, but a really, really important reference in the market. And I think all of these things are, are really going to help transition go forward. What good looks like, common reference point, common language, common architecture. So good on ICMA for, for making that contribution to this whole area. And hopefully that's used and referenced and constructs and helps a lot of issuers specify their uh, issuer level considerations and strategy in relation to anything labeled as transition going forward. Thanks, Nick. And if we have time for one last question, uh, do we need to have verified science-based targets for a sustainability-linked bond? Yeah, we've had this question um, a couple of times from uh, from different people. So I think it's, you know, um, when we look at ambition for a sustainability-linked bond, as per the principles, we're looking at the company's own historical performance. We're looking at comparison to peers and we're looking if something's aligned to the Paris goals and net zero. Or sometimes a company, you can measure all, all three of them. In relation to something science-based, effectively, that's saying that the target is aligned to the Paris um, agreement or net zero. That's the main thing. Whether it's a science-based target by that particular institution that does that, very credible institution, adds credibility, but it's not a must, but adds credibility. A key thing is, though, for trajectories, if they do align, uh, with the Paris Agreement and net zero, they're often seen as, as more ambitious uh, and more credible, whether or not they're signed off with SBT. But that's a common reference point in the market, certainly 
uh, seems to be gaining a lot of strength and a really good reference point. Thanks, Nick. Maybe let's round off with the last segment on social bonds. Um, the IDB has subscribed to a gender-focused social bond issued by Banco de Vivienda. The deal was worth $100 million, um, which with a seven-year maturity. This is the world's first issuance of a gender-linked bond based on achieving outcomes. So quite interesting to see um, a, a gender-linked bond following what we worked on in Thailand last year for the Bank of Ayuda. The proceeds of this bond uh, will be used to exclusively finance the growth of women-led SME portfolios, uh, as well as the purchase of social interest housed by women in Colombia. So this financing will contribute to the development of capital markets and the thematic bonds in Colombia and the region. But this is the first gender-focused social bond in South America that has been aligned to the international standards. So very great to see that. Uh, one last Social bond related news for the month. Um, RCBC in the Philippines financed 56 billion Filipino pesos worth of green and social projects as they continue to push sustain sustainable financing amid the pandemic. So, RCBC mentioned that they have used the funds to fund at least 9,797 green and social projects, and has, which has accounted for about 10% of their total loan book as at the end of September. So, very exciting to see such interesting stats. Any interesting sustainable uh, label products this month? Yeah, sure. I might just comment on that and then also jump into the regulatory um, section, uh, Cheryl. But in terms of labelled products, I wouldn't say anything um, overly new. A couple of deals around hedging and having some of those interest rate swaps uh, be linked or have a sustainability link to them to drive pricing up or down. Uh, let's see how that develops. A couple of frameworks were also released in the market. OCBC released a SME green financing framework, which is more at a product type level. Uh, BNP launched also a similar, um, similar framework or eligibility guide as such for sustainable supply chain financing. Um, and also UOB, and particularly focused on smart cities, which was an interesting one to see. So just a reminder to the bankers listening, um, Sustainalytics is pretty active in providing and working with banks on these type of more product level frameworks, particularly irrelevant to, for SMEs and, and smaller type companies to group a bunch of loans. Uh, under that um, eligibility criteria. In relation to regulatory, just a couple of things this month. It's been quite a packed uh, agenda of things. We saw and congratulate uh, MAS or the Monetary Authority of Singapore coming out with their green sustainability loan uh, program and also expanding the, the bond subsidy program to include uh, SLBs, which is, uh, which is great in Singapore's quest to really cement itself as a regional, uh, regional centre. Thailand, again, we continue to have lots of interesting discussions in Thailand. Uh, proposing rules around supporting sustainability-linked bonds. So, Cheryl, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, lots happening in ASEAN, which is great, Singapore and the other countries. And um, another point that I mentioned earlier, the UK making a mandatory uh, TCFD or Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, a very tongue-twisting acronym there. Fantastic to see and a great, uh, great announcement. So, uh, lots of interesting things. Look forward to the next podcast. Thanks, Nick. All right, folks, that's about all the time we have for this episode. Links to the articles and reports mentioned in this episode can be found on our website. Do also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter and send us questions or any feedback our way at podcast at sustainalytics.com. Thanks again for tuning in. Till next time.